Welcome to the 446th episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. Thank you and glad you're tuning in tonight. You know, I always have some notes of what I'm going to talk about and sometimes there is a ringer that comes in and changes things up. So um, we'll see where I end up tonight. But there's been a few things happening in the last couple of days that um, make me question some things and I'll, and I'll put them out to you and perhaps you can question some things and maybe I'll help you make some decisions as well. As far as my endurance training goes, I always say that, uh, and we do, um, first part of October, we have the Dana 100K trail race. So I'm still working towards that on, on par. Um, running's going up. Mileage is going to peak this week, and then we'll do a little bit of a taper. We actually get to go um, to Lakeland, Florida, to the trail where the 100-mile race will be in January and do a practice loop there in the end of September. So also be good uh, practice for the 100K, so I'm looking forward to that. Then we were going to do a swim run in uh, November back in Austin, and as you may have heard, or if you're a Texan, you surely know, there's not been much rain in Texas. And last year, the water was down. The Colorado River, where we swam in, was down, and we did a lot of climbing out of rocks. And this year, uh, it's probably going to be down even more, and so there'll be a lot less swimming and a lot more you know, rock climbing out of uh, the hole that was once a lake. And another race came available. Um, the Rattler 50K um, that's near Austin as well, early in November, so we're switching out. So got a 50K instead of a swim run. Still going to keep swimming once a week, but I'm not going to ramp it up after this 100K as much. So I think it's probably still a good idea to get out and get in the water until it gets too cold, um, meaning I don't like to get in the water when it's 40 degrees outside. It's really hard for me to talk myself into that, especially if I don't have to. But anyway, I'm going to try to swim once a week um, um, just to kind of give my legs a rest, but keep my cardiovascular, sort of a cardiovascular recovery day, so to speak. So that's in the plans. Um, strength training still in the plans, working through that. And um, so things are doing pretty good. I've My third week of VO2 max intervals on a hill. So I did seven by three minutes on, three minutes off, and a 6% grade. Um and that uh, gets my heart rate uh, up into the lactic threshold range uh, for a 61-year-old. So that's pretty good. So I feel that workout. So I think that's, that's making some progress. I also took a old or a cut uh, pallet and put under the back end of my treadmill and did a little bit of a downhill run the other day. And that actually works. Uh, so I'm hoping that increases leg turnover. So it'll help me with the downhills eventually for some of these steeper races. It's also a weightlifting exercise in and of itself to lift the, lift the back end of my treadmill up to get the pallet underneath. So th- that's got some work to be done. It's not necessarily a convenient thing to do. Um, you know, last time I talked about, you know, setting goals and working the plan. And a couple things happened this week that um, I guess you could say threw a wrench into people's plans. Um, there was a person that I know, um, that retired, um, after having a good job, uh, retired in his early sixties, he and his wife, and were doing some traveling. They never took care of themselves. They lived the good life. They were both significantly overweight. You would put them in the obese category. Um, so they ate the good food, did what they wanted, um, 
showed all those fancy foods and, um, you know, rich, rich foods and rich desserts and um, continued to travel, you know, did some traveling, but again, just started because they just retired and the wife up and died suddenly. And, um, you know, it's a real shame. You know, you think you work all your life and you make a good living and you're going to retire and do things together and boom, somebody drops dead on you. And obviously that's a sad thing and a, and a hardship to bear. Um, but when I look at them, you know, I see right up front, it, to me, it didn't have to be, or I don't think it had to be. Um, and they all, the, the, the husband actually um, had a position in the hospital and, you know, they kind of always made fun of the way I changed the practice a little bit and, you know, thought he I actually was told that the, the hospital misses you uh, the last time I saw them at a concert in the, in the wintertime. And it's like, well, you know, I miss some of the people at the hospital, but I don't miss having to go to the hospital to see my patients. Uh, my patients are doing quite well. I'm keeping them out of the hospital. And I had fought over the years to get a plant-based diet in the hospital and, you know, to a lot of pushback. And again, you know, again, there are a lot of barbs, as you all have probably encountered, um, with, you know, why would you want to eat that way? And certainly curing heart disease doesn't uh, help the bottom line of a hospital uh, because the, the biggest moneymaker for a hospital is one, cardiovascular, and two, orthopedics. So neither one of those uh, are going to be improved by a good lifestyle. But nevertheless, you know, that happened. And then I gave a talk, and um, one of the questions that came up was if the person had um, three vessel blocks, so the coronary arteries and all three vessels were blocked, um, and when he played tennis, he got a little discomfort maybe at, you know, peak exertion, but he didn't really want to have a bypass, and he was plant-based, and he was... Um, pretty good about being plant-based, thought that he was, you know, um, um, doing almost as good as he could um, with a plant-based diet, yet he still had blockages, and he'd been plant-based for two or three years. And the question was, you know, is it working? Is it worth it? Should I have a bypass? You know, what should I do? And obviously, you know, again, study of one, that's, you know, that's a hard thing to uh, understand or kind of make a quick decision on. It's a, not an easy decision. And the other thing that happened was um, um, someone had uh, has been doing another plant-based person, you know, had been doing um, excellent on a plant-based diet, weight good, exercising, diabetes under really good control, cholesterol under good control on no medications, yet um, end up having um, a heart attack Luckily, got a clot buster, very little damage, if any. But the question is, should they go ahead with a bypass or not? And, you know, it might send you running for the uh, stop button and, you know, saying this doesn't work. Um, and, of course, then the decision is what to do. And it's always hard to make a decision when you're making a decision for yourself based on data that was collected on others. So, you know, if it's hard to do, basically it's hard to do the statistics on one person. Um, We don't know what could have happened um, if they would have chosen another route. Um, We don't know the past. We only know what's happened. We know from regular studies that if you're asymptomatic and you have three-vessel disease, 
then you're not going to live any longer or any better um, when you have um, a procedure done, whether it's stent or bypass. We know that if you're having a heart attack right then and there, intervention is life-saving. So it should be, that's a no-brainer. You go ahead with the intervention at that point, whether it's a clot buster or if a stent, you know, vessels can be stented. That, that changes things right up front. And if somebody's having a little bit of symptoms, but it's, they're stable, meaning that you know, they've got to really exert themselves, then you're in a little bit of a gray area because if you go ahead and have an intervention, it might make those symptoms better early on. Um, on the other hand, uh, they may come back and it, you know, it changes one's life when one has a major surgical procedure. There's the risk of the procedure. There is the risk of the future as far as medications and follow-up and change in lifestyle a little bit. So those are all things that have to be taken into consideration, and a lot of those weren't taken into consideration when all the studies were done, you know, as far as, you know, we know that the all comers 10 years after a bypass, 50% of the bypass graphs block up. Um, again, that's all comers. That's not people that are eating plant-based nutrition. So, part, you know, I like to think that people that eat plant-based, they'll do much better with a bypass. The other wrench uh, that I believe is thrown into the equation in uh, 2023 is the presence of a spike protein. Um, I have observed and read and um, been um, taken care of people that have had complications from the COVID vaccine. And I do believe that um, clotting is a real issue based on my practice and, and what I've read. It doesn't affect everybody. I believe it's because there's some unknowns with the mechanism of the COVID vaccine. Um, some people may make more spike protein than others. Some people may clear it better than others. Um, there's underlying disease in some people versus other people. So it's the waters are really, really muddy. But as physicians, we're trying to navigate these unknown waters with little assistance from everybody wants to kind of keep their head in the sand and not really talk about it. So it makes it very, very difficult and also very difficult to advise a patient on your thought process when there's not a lot of data. So, you know, where am I going with all this? Um, you know, just like people are told well, you should have done this or you should have done that, or I told you so, I wish you would have, um, you know, with either traditional therapy for cardiovascular disease or traditional therapy for cancer, nobody really knows how anybody's life is going to play out. And it comes down to the individual, and it's an individual decision. And I would, you know, stress that to people. I would stress that to people's families. Um, I think communication is the key, um, knowing that, you know, I, I'm in charge of my own body here. I've got my wits about me. I'm going to make this decision. And you should support that individual. Uh, we do in our practice. Whatever decision people decide to make, whether maybe it was a decision I would have made, maybe it wasn't, um, I support those people in their decision. It's my job to educate people with as much knowledge as I have. It's also my decision. It's also my, in, um, my responsibility to tell people what I don't know. Uh, the practice of medicine, there is a lot of unknowns. Anybody that speaks to you with complete certainty is lying. Um, we don't know. And the individual makes this practice of medicine very, very difficult. Um, there are all kinds of confounding situations. So, 
my job as a physician is to present people with as much data as I can, and then they get to make the decision, and I support them, and so should their family support them, and so should their friends support them in that decision, as far as I'm concerned. Um, it's a difficult decision applying, um, you know, statistics to one person. It, it doesn't translate. Uh, there's variables that don't translate. But I think in the end, as far as someone, you know, making the decision, you know, make it to the best of your ability and make it with, you know, what you're comfortable with. And then, you know, be at peace with the decision. I think being at peace with the decision and having confidence that you made the right decision really helps as far as having a good outcome. Um, you know, I, I think our heads play such a big game in, uh, or play such a big role in our ultimate outcome, whether it's health or uh, anything that we do, that I, you know, if you think you're going to lose, you're going to lose. But if you think you're going to win and you've made a decision and you're in confidence, confident, then I think you got a good chance of coming out the other end, whatever your decision that you've made, because you've made the best decision for yourself. So, you know, I guess the idea would be that uh, you make a decision and own it. On the same side of the uh, equation are people that are retiring and they can't do what they want because, again, they're too sick by the time they get to 60, 65. So, um, you know, a person that goes and plays golf, you know, does a golf outing with his buddies. But, you know, when they played 36 holes in one day, uh, he wasn't trained for that. He went to a place where it was hilly, not used to being on the hills, uh, wasn't trained for that duration. Um, You know, everything wasn't where it should be nutritionally and metabolically, and he had trouble. And it's a shame because his, you know, quality of his vacation was not as good because of, of not training for his event. So it doesn't have to be an endurance event. It doesn't have to be a 50-mile race or a 100-mile race. It could be a golf outing. It could be a cruise that you're stuck on the boat because you can't walk off of it um, or you can't you know, feel comfortable going down or, you, you know, or you're not confident enough in your nutrition to be able to pick good food when you go off of the boat or you fall prey to the chocolate buffet on a cruise and you can't stay out of that food. So those are all things that you have control over that ultimately affect the quality of your life and your ability to do things. It's not so much that, you know, people use the excuse, so to speak, of I can't, I don't have time, but it's more of I don't really want to because we all find time to do what we really want to. Sometimes we make it too difficult on ourselves up front. Um, if you have some wiggle room, you know, so if, you, if you're the person that's under the gun with three-vessel disease and chest pain, there's not a lot of wiggle room because you're trying to back up years of living to try to get these arteries unblocked, to try to open up collaterals, to get things get things stabilized. So it's, you know, attention to detail and being really strict is, is very, very important. Um, you know, Dr. Esselstyn has said many a time that, you know, there are 52 weeks in a year. If you go out one time, that's 52 weeks that you're, you know, you're going out and getting bad food or, you know how many Saturdays there's four Saturdays a month if you cheat every Saturday it's you know it's how many Saturdays is that you know as a side note I um, have this app called Strava that my Garmin is uploaded to and it tracks all your runs and things and it gives you at the end of the month it gives you a summary of how many days that you've run and you were active and how many minutes and how far you went it's kind of fun to look at it Um, and it gives you one at the end of the year and it's amazing how many days that I didn't actually run 
when you start adding up travel days, you know, so I don't go, typically don't run the day I travel. I typically don't run the day after a race. Um, I may not run, you know, the day before a race or the day, you know, so it may be a couple days that I don't do anything significant before or after. So all those days start to add up. And, you know, it's, it's significant at the end of the year. It's kind of disappointing, you know, because I think that I run almost every day. And I do run almost every day, for, except for the days that I don't. And so you don't really notice it until you see it on a calendar. Uh, and it's the same way with nutrition. On the other hand, if I said tomorrow that I'm going to run 100 miles this week, but I'm only running 50, that's a huge jump. And the chances of me pulling that off without getting injured is pretty low. Uh, or certainly disrupting my life to the point where, yeah, I could probably do it on a bet, but am I going to do it the, the week after? No, I'm not going to be able to. So I think sometimes we put the bar too high. Um, I kind of liken it to, you know, I, everybody knows we've got this new dog, 3-0, and he's a year and a half, and he's been in some bad situations, and so he's learning. And he, you know, there's a lot of new stimuli. So when I take him, he never ran before. Uh, out on the street. He'd never been walked out on the street before. So everything's new to him. Smells, sights, you know, um, dogs that don't look like him. He was raised with a pack of German Shepherds. So he's not seen little white fluffy dogs. He's not seen dogs on retractable leads. He's not seen dogs barking to him, lunging from another lead. You know, he's not seen a lot of different people come at him in various ways. So, you know, he kind of loses his mind uh, on occasion. And, you know, it's it's easy to get frustrated, but I've made the commitment that we're going to take baby steps, you know, so we stop and we sit and I reward and, you know, we try to get things under control and we inch our way up to go past the dog. And, you know, some days it goes really well and other days it doesn't go really well. But in general, you can see the progress. But if I expected him to do a whole lot and be like the dogs on TV that, you know, just prance right up to their owners, it'd be a huge disappointment. So the you know so it's it's doing what you can when you can. So anytime we get a chance to practice something, we do. We practice in the morning when I'm getting my coffee. You know, we do a little training exercise. We do a training exercise when I'm out with him running. Um, we do training exercises before we go out the door. You know, so any little time that I have, and it adds up over time, and there's progress. And so. You can do that with yourself as well. If you're trying to, you know, incorporate some strength training, you can do it between things, on the way to things, doing lunges from room to room. Your nutrition as well. If you were a completely standard American diet, fast food person, you can't expect to be a raw, you know, plant-based, no dressing, anything type of person and, and sustain it. So you have to set the bar to where you can do. If you don't like any vegetables, you've got to start with the ones you do like and work your way from there. Uh, find if you don't cook, I talked to a lady yesterday that you know hadn't used her stove or her oven in the place that she lives uh, for three years. She only uses a microwave. Well, if I told her she's going to have to make some recipe that calls for you know a bunch of different appliances, it's not going to work. So where, what can you do? She can do, um, you know, um, frozen vegetables. She can do a baked potato. She can do, you know, beans from a can. We can do some of those things, make some simple sauces. But we're not going to do, uh, we're not going to make, um, you know, giant complicated recipes with her. We should just ignore it. 
3-0 does much better when there's no distractions. So the earlier we go, if it's dark and it's just him and I, the only thing that gets on our road is the occasional rabbit. If you're eating at home, you in your you know you have control of the situation, what you bring in. But if you go out all the time, it becomes a stress every time because you don't have control of the kitchen. Um, so there, the more distractions there are, the harder it is for you to accomplish your goal. Same way with exercise. If you wait till later in the day, there's 101 things that'll get in the way that are more exciting or you'd rather do than to, than to exercise. So it's better to get it done first thing in the morning. Start with what can I do? You know, what can I fix? Um, and that's a positive reinforcement. You got that. You know, um, again, there was a guy a long time ago that, you know, he wasn't a cook, but he went plant-based and the rest of his family wasn't plant-based, but he could make quinoa and peppers and onions. And that's what he ate for lunch every day. You know what I mean? And it, it worked until he could figure out how to put a couple different things with it. I've, you know, had uh, guys that would do, you know, seven baked potatoes on Sunday. So they had one for their lunch every week in a bag of greens, um, you know, and, and, and that's how they did it. So, you know, that, that may sound awful to you, but you start with where, where you are and work your way up. 10% rule. When I, you know, have people start an exercise program or myself, I try to bump up by 10%. I don't bump up by 50%. It's 10%. So start with where you are and just do a little bit each week. So, again, it doesn't become you don't get injured or you don't get sick of what you're doing or bored or feel like you're penned in, and you can go from there. It's largely a mental game, and it's where you put the bar. Um, another funny example, and I guess you know you'd have to be somewhat of a runner or camper maybe to appreciate it, but or maybe somebody that you know you've been someplace without um, access to a lot of food. But you know, my grandmother used to always say the you know the best palate is a hungry palate. Basically, if you're hungry, you eat anything. If you're not hungry, then you know you start to turn your nose up. But these guys were doing an ultra run in you know almost zero conditions and 15 miles between aid stations. And we got to the aid station, they had soup and the ramen noodles they had. They had just thrown into the soup and the the noodles were still crunchy. But they didn't care because it was food and the, and, the, and the broth was warm and the noodles were crunchy. It was certainly better than nothing and certainly better than what they were getting out in the cold. Same way with the hot chocolate. They talked about it being chunky and you could actually chew the hot chocolate. It sounds awful if you're good, used to gourmet chocolate from you know, some coffee shop. But if you're out in the middle of nowhere and you're freezing, uh, chunky, choc- chunky hot chocolate could be you know, uh, really, really good for you. So it depends on where you put the bar. If you put it too high, you know, you're going to be really disappointed. If you bring it down, then, you know, things, it's perspective. It's just how you look at things. If you just had a debilitating surgery, um, but you know you can come come back from it, you start with what you can do. If, you know, you walk and then you run um, a little bit at a time and work your way up. But you can always do more than you think you can. That's, that's the bottom line. I, you know, I read stories and hear people talk. There are people that have had legs amputated, the people that have major surgeries, people that have been in car wrecks. You know, they can all come back to do things because they want to live and they want to see what they can accomplish. Um, and they, they're their own cheerleaders um, because they know that they can do it and, and nothing is really going to stop them. I heard another funny story, or I read it today online, um, I, I really like watching people that um, are not plant-based 
try to justify why they eat what they what they do, and and one of it is the carnivore community, and there's several uh, of the big influencers on social media that do all these posts about you know all the meat and all the fat and all the eggs that they're eating, and one I kind of watch to see when when it is they start to have trouble or they or they you know give up. And already, you know, people are starting to add, used to be just meat, now they're adding, you know, eggs, and now they're adding butter, and now they're starting to add dairies. Uh, And then a lot are starting to add some citrus and some blueberries and some greens because their body's not responding to just eating a meat diet. We weren't made to eat eat just a meat diet. And of course, you don't know exactly what's going on uh, because you're not in their kitchen with you, but... There was a post today that I thought was rather humorous. The carnivore was uh, making a post on his beautiful steak and the big um, chunk of fat around the outside of the steak uh, that it was yellow and it was yellow because he was eating a very expensive grass-fed steak and the yellow was from all the beta-carotin and the vitamin A that came from the plants that the cow ate because he's grass-fed. And I thought it was hysterical because they don't want to eat plants, but they're eating the plants through the animal by eating the fat. So they're getting metabolic excess, uh, metabolic waste to get the nutrients that you could get without metabolic waste from the plants themselves. So then there was a comment, a rebuttal saying, well... I really don't like um, grass-fed because it's tough and it's, you know, and I um, don't don't like that because it's, you know, it's not very flavorful. And um, I like mine grain-fed uh, or grain-finished. Again, the people that really throw plant-based people under the bus, especially throw eating grains under the bus, that grains are so bad for us. But you eat a cow that eight grains that were probably genetically modified uh, that were covered with Roundup. And a cow grazes all day long. And so the cow is eating tons of this stuff and you're eating the cow. And guess where all the toxins and poison goes? Into that fat that you're looking for as a carnivore wanting your fat and your marble marbling that you're so proud of. That's where all the metabolic toxins are as well as, you know, all the other bad things. So um, I thought that was that was kind of humorous that, you know, don't eat grains unless the cow ate the grains and you can eat the cow that ate the grains and don't eat grass fed. You're the grass fed's great, but it and then the farmer kicked in and said or a rancher kicked in and he said, yeah, he said, we don't do it because the cows are too skinny and we can't make any money. So and the hamburger's so bad from the grass fed um, animals that we have to get other hamburger from other cows so that they have fat in it so we can mix in so it's actually tasty enough. So again, you're taking what, you know, everybody says grass-fed, grass-fed, grass-fed is the way to go, but the reality of it is it doesn't taste that good. So because it's lean and they're looking for the fat, but the fat comes with the toxins. So the best way around that is to eat what the cow ate. So eat the plants and don't worry about all the metabolic waste. When you think about it, the cow, so the metabolic waste from all that fat's nine calories per gram. Uh, where you could be just eating the, the protein and carbohydrate at four calories per, per gram and have a little bit of fat, 10, 5, 10%, and do much better. 
but they want to brag that they can eat all this meat and all this bacon, but again, their the metabolic waste is accumulating at a rapid rate. A European chimed in and said, well, in Europe, they don't eat the fat because that's where the toxins are. And that kind of shut everybody up, you know, because they started thinking about where the toxins are and where the, you know, the poisons are. Again, the animal eats all day long. And if you eat the animal, you, you get all the bad things that the animal had that, you know, in an exponential amount. So I didn't have to say a word. They kind of shot themselves in the foot with just their, their conversation, their conversation. Most... Keto people and carnivore people make fun of vegans. They don't make fun of plant-based people. They don't necessarily know the difference, but they're really referring to the vegans when they talk about our seed oils and the processed oils and the processed food. Seed oils are bad on a number of uh, levels, uh, not because they come from seeds and plants, but by the way they're processed. So if you, um, cotton seed oil, uh, canola, palm, the process uses a, uh, hexenes to, you know, uh, to, to process them into their oils. So that in and of itself, you know, makes them much more dangerous than, uh, say a cold pressed oil. And the majority of them are processed this way. So if you even buy olive oil in the grocery store, that's, that's kind of what you're getting, um, and of course, all the seed oils, and then you add soybean oil, which most of that is genetically modified soybeans that were exposed to lots of glyphosate. And if you look at products, that those are basically packaged, processed products: cookies, pastries, breads, chips, um, junk food, uh, processed vegan burgers, processed whatever kind of uh, vegan food has a variety of these different oils and a lot of them have two or three of those different oils in them and you might say well there's only three there's only seven grams but if you look at you know seven grams times nine is 63 out of 150 that's a significant amount of fat for that product and a significant amount of oil um, coming from those things seed oils are also more high in omega-6s than omega-3s omega-6s go to more inflammatory proteins they're more clotting so you're getting metabolic waste with the byproducts of manufacturing and you're getting uh, more omega-6s than omega-3s you're getting more calories and you're stripping the oil from its original uh, nutrients so you're not getting any of the fiber or the minerals that came in the whole food so no, I'm not vegan. I'm plant-based and try to avoid those things as much as I possibly can. And if there's something that's in the grocery store that looks good to me, it's like, how did they make it? You know, so if I don't have to have all of the um, fillers and um, additives in to give something shelf life and make it stable then I can often make it at home with, with few, just a few ingredients. There was a study that recently came out looking at the binders. So some of the things that bind, especially gluten-free products, but bind a lot of, again, bars, um, you know, that some of the vegan um, puffs and things that are made, you know, it's basically different flowers and different whatever put together. Something has to hold it together, give it shelf life, give it stability, keep the oils from going so rancid. Well, those stuff, uh, those things have actually um, been linked to having an increased risk in cancers because they, they tend to be active um, and, and a possible endocrine disruptors. So um, 
you know, the things, the big laundry list of ingredients that you see in things you have to be really careful about because a lot of those aren't good for you. And you say, well, I only eat a little bit, but it comes back to the 52 days a year. You only, you may only eat one bar a day. You may only eat, uh, you know, some bread a day. You may only eat a tortilla, a packaged tortilla here one day. You might only eat a vegan burger one day, you know, so you get a variety of different sources of toxins that tend to add up over time. And, you know, nobody's figured out how much of any of this you get, you know, in a day. I spoke to a group of people last night, and they were very educated on plant-based nutrition. And I was very impressed with um, uh, the questions that they asked and, and how well they were doing and the insights that they had. But it can still be very difficult to pull this off, you know, in a field of one or in a group of people that, that, that doesn't eat like you do. Um, and that's where the confidence in making your own decision has to, to kick in. So, you know, decide what you want. Do you, do you want to be able to go on that golf outing and do 36 holes a day? Do you want to be able to get off the cruise boat? Do you want to be able to run 50 miles or swim until you know, you're in your 80s. There's no reason why you can't do these things, but you have to train for them. Um, I think the sky's the limit. I think seeing, you know, deciding you can do what you want to do, it's a question of what you want to do and taking responsibility for it, making a plan and, um, and owning it and then reassessing. Things don't always happen the way we want. There are setbacks. Um, things happen. Um, but you kind of get up and dust yourself off and go again and do things to the best of your ability. And that's the beauty of life. It's not a straight line. It's twists and turns. And, you know, you shouldn't get down on yourself, but you need to hold yourself accountable to be able to say what the problem is, identify it, and and have the courage to go on. You know, every time you dig a little deeper, uh, make yourself a little bit more uncomfortable it makes it easier the next time that you go to do it. Um, we don't want to get out of our comfort zones. We would like things easy. The world, the media tells us that we should be doing hacks and that things should be easy and, you know, we've earned it and we deserve to be cushy and not have to do anything. But the reality of it is um, we do need to do uh, hard things, to, and it's part of living, and it's part of what makes you feel alive. I talked to a person today, you know, it's like after you go for a walk or a run, and you come back in, and you're all sweaty, and you get showered up, it's like you feel great. Often, it's like, you know, I could have even gone further, um, and that's because you pushed yourself a little bit, and you realize that you're alive and you can still do things and you can still be in control of aspects of your life and it's a good thing. Um, same way as for a nutrition. You can do more than you think you can. Um, and again, it can be simple. I can, I can make meals in a hotel room. I can make meals in somebody's house that has no equipment, you know, that they, they don't hardly eat. I could, you know, you can survive a, a variety of different places. People camp. Um, you know, and it's fun to see what you can do with limited ingredients, limited um, appliances, you know, limited space, limited ability to do things, uh, even exercise wise. So don't make excuses. See what you can do and enjoy the process of doing what you can. And then you can expand on it from there. Life is full of hard decisions, but you get to make them. People, don't, they don't get to make them for you, and you shouldn't be guilty by what other people think or say or do um, because it's your life to live, and only you can do it. 
If you'd like some help with some of these things, uh, love to be involved uh, on a health journey, an exercise journey, journey to run an ultra, journey to be plant-based, go over to drdelaney.com, see what we have available. Um, there's a uh, whole host of things to look at. Our practice has movement, exercise, yoga, nutrition classes, um, and we work with people to help them make the best decision for them and support them in their decision, not just tell people what to do and get all huffy if they don't agree with us. So uh, check it out, drdelaney.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-D-U-L-A-N-E-Y. You can email me at jamie at drdelaney.com. Love to hear from you. Um, Step outside your comfort zone this week. See what you can do.